right, it is February sixteenth, and you're back on another edition. Second Five Next Weekly, final recording on a Friday, as opposed to being too busy to do it during the week and sneak it in Saturday morning. So. We have we have sessions, right? Some people do. Some of us have to work. <laughs> I'm working. I, I spent three hours on the radio yesterday trying to inform <laughs> Central Kentucky about what's going on. Uh, and how many baseball cards did you buy? I mean, none on the air. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm your host, Trey Watson, joined as always by Abby Piper, Jared Smith, and we're also joined today by my neighbor, Caitlin Bunning. How you doing? Great. How are y'all? Thanks for having me. Yeah, Caitlin is uh, is here in her role. She does a lot of things, a lot of hats, uh, but she's here in a role with Dependable Power First Kentucky. We're going to talk a little bit about that later in the show, but... As always, Caitlin, feel free to weigh in and end your career at any point. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tread lightly. lightly. (laughs) Uh, All right, let's talk about uh, uh, state stuff first because there's a couple kind of heavy issues to get into nationally. Uh, Let's talk state first, though. Uh, Let's start with, I've heard from a couple reporters that have asked us to talk about House Bill 509, which is the Open Records Act that is sponsored by uh, John Hogsden uh, and and actually co-sponsored by... uh, Ozzy and Nemus, among others. Um, I will say this. I'll preface this whole conversation as I cut my teeth in politics doing opposition research. I value opposition research both from the media and public good side and from the political side to, to generate you know hits on my opponents. Uh, I think transparency is good. And this law is just kind of kind of weird. Like, basically, it reads the, the way it reads to me and the way that I think reporters are taking it. And, you know, I'm happy to take rebuttal from, from Jason Nemes if anybody wants to disavow me. But the way that it reads is basically, basically the, the Open Records Act would become just like an archive of stuff that's already gone public. And it would eliminate what you would normally think of as open records of being inner office emails, you know, e- emails in preparation of stuff, just the things that I would normally be searching for as an op researcher, that stuff would all be eliminated. It's a head scratcher to me because I don't know why in any scenario you would want less transparency. Um, I, I feel like in, if nothing else, we want more transparency. Um, so it, it does make you wonder what's, um, maybe there's some anecdote behind it we don't know about perhaps, but um you know, complicated. I would be curious to see if there is an antidote behind it for the reason. This smells, I mean, some sounds like what Pike County did in the fiscal court with some of their stuff down there uh, regarding their contracts with uh, local vendors. And so um, I just, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Well, and, and here's the thing. If I'm a Republican, I got three years of Andy Bashir left. And and he, may, and he might be gearing up to run for something national. Sure would be nice to be able to get access to his emails. It sure and, would. And, yeah. to, and, and as mad as Republicans are at public school systems and other various government bureaucracies and agencies, like why would we make it harder to find evidence of wrongdoing on on their part if we're if, if we're mad at them? Like it just I don't. I guess maybe the thinking is well they're they're not going to be Democrats won't be holding those agencies for long and we're going to go ahead and get I, I don't I don't know but I, you know with, with with three more years of Bashir. I'd, I'd say make 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 his administration more vulnerable and, to open records requests. I don't say this. To be, <laughs> I don't say this to be cynical, but I, I have a feeling a lot of business is still done on private emails and private phones. Yeah, and I'm not saying be cynical. It's just that's the easiest well, way. You're just firing off an answer or whatever. Well, you know? and again, anyone who's li- anyone who lived through the Fletcher administration 
is picking up your damn phone and calling people. <laughs> Don't send an email to start with. Yeah, so I know people who were uh, working in politics at that time by that pattern. Like, there are yes. people who even, like, you know, are my age, they're like, they will not, they always call. And I'm a millennial, so I don't want to talk on the phone for any reason ever. But those people, yes, you're like, I, they must have been the right I wasn't pleasure. even here in Kentucky when all that went down. I, I like, I just moved in. But I, you know, I cut my teeth in politics working with people like Vince Fields and Steve Robertson. Yes, I call. I call. You know, don't don't text me. Don't email me. I want to just call. Every campaign I ran, I had a burner phone. Everybody does. <laughs> Everybody does. Yeah, it's a simple prepaid cash phone. Prepaid what cash you, phone. Why do you need the burner phone, what? though? What? Is somebody recording? Is somebody planted a recording? I worked on a campaign where my candidate was recorded. I take precautions. <laughs> oh, yeah. That happened in the McConnell campaign, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. Well, but that, that wasn't a phone. That was somebody putting a recording device in a, in a vent. True. Well, we were always trained in, uh, for situational awareness. My background was I did work for Senator McConnell for a number of years. We were always trained to go into any room expecting to be recorded. Yes. And we were always cautioned about putting things in email, even outside. We were not subject to open records requests unless it was linked to something at the state government. Uh, but, you know, you put it in writing, it can be opened up to the public in a number of ways. So I, I am doing a, uh, a media training session, like how to deal with the press at the Kentucky uh, County Attorneys Association conference next week. And that's like one of the top things that I've got is even even if it is clear that you are, you're off the record, assume that it will eventually wind up in print somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's Absolutely. a good policy. But, you know, I will say to your point earlier, when I worked at JCPS, and I, before this, uh, we started, you know, said I, I try to forget that period of my life. But when I was there every day, every night, we'd get an email of like all the open records requests. And I got, I mean, my emails were always, always being requested. Did anything come of it? No, but I did get in that pattern. And I frankly think JCPS would love to not have to be subject to uh, uh, those interagency records. So now, it's something to consider. Now, to be fair, to be fair, there are people like me and Jake Cox who sometimes get angry at public, public officials and uh, weaponize the, pub, the, the the open records quest system out of pure spite. You? You? <laughs> no, not you. Sending Allison Grimes an open records request every day for an entire month because we were mad at changes that she made to uh, what information you got when you did when you did a uh, pull of the voter file. Yeah, but that wouldn't change. You could still send her open records requests. Yeah, well, they, they just deny it because it, would, it wouldn't... It, it would fall under the purview of this, like, like I, I, we were literally, we were because we were like, we, half of them would be would be information that we legitimately wanted, and half of it was just like we had made a vow to send her one every day for thirty days, and so we did, and so like we were requesting my you had name. too much time on your hands. We were yeah. requesting my name, and we were requesting Jake's name, and we were requesting Jerry Lundigan's name. Sounds <laughs> like you're making an argument in favor of it right now, Jerry. I'm, I'm so, <laughs> saying there are some people out there who are weaponizing. Jerry, you just pulled a one eighty. Very impressive. Very impressive. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's. It, I know the, the media is like going bonkers about it. Uh, every even the, even the people in the press that I like are going are going nuts. So you know, we'll see what happens. I just I, I don't, especially if I'm a Republican. I know I got three more years of Andy Bashir, and again, he's looking to run for something higher or, or move up in, in the world. Like it'd be nice to continue to have access to his to his, to his records. Uh, that's all I'm saying. Uh, Clean Slate Act has been filed in both chambers of the General Assembly. This is that this hopefully this one won't be controversial. I don't think it will, but this is of course in twenty fifteen, I think it was, we did a big overhaul of uh, of expungement mm-hmm. and 
basically what this one would do, and, it, and Bratcher's got it in the House, yeah. and uh, Storm has it in the Senate. And basically, what it would do is is automate the process that they put into place in fifteen, where because like now you got to go in, it costs like three hundred something dollars. You got to file paperwork. It's a you have to proactively go in and do stuff. Um, this frees up the process a little bit for like. You know, if you stab somebody, this it doesn't count. This is like victimless crimes, uh, you know, lower level stuff to be able to go in and get your record expunged. But it, it would basically when you when you've fully served your served your your sentence and you've paid back your debt to society and any fines, you know, any, any uh, money you had to pay somebody is, is gone. Your probation period, whatever, all, all that, all that's done. The 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 stuff will be automatically expunged. And you know, we've got. The thing going in in Glendale, we got a battery, like a two billion dollar battery plant going in, in, in Toyota in Georgetown. Uh, we got a lack of nurses, we got a lack of teachers, we got all this stuff out there that we we just don't have bodies for. Anything we can do, and we have one of the lowest workforce participation rates in the country. So anything we can do to get more people back in the workforce, and if you got people with very minor crimes that they've served their time, they haven't they haven't uh, reoffended. And we can make the process easier to get them back in the workforce by clearing this up. Why the heck not? So, yeah, I mean, especially since we're seeing a new wave of uh, tough on crime laws come come down the pike. I think it's nice to be able to uh, help people that have paid their debt to society. Yeah. You know, like you said, it makes perfect sense with our workforce issue. Well, and frankly, like the, the tough on crime laws that we got are they're more they're the, more violent. They're, yeah, they're yeah. more more violent, and so like you know, you can do you can you can do both at the same time. Because I, I think we went a long time where just criminal justice reform was like anyone who made a mistake in their past, we got to give them a second chance. Now I think we realized, oh, again, like if you stab somebody or you, you know, you were you were running drugs for a gang, maybe maybe that's less of a second chance opportunity Most there. Maybe have not watched it. Like, <laughs> you, know, okay. you know, like so. I, my hope is that we're reaching a point where I, I always say everything in politics and and policy, frankly, is on a pendulum. And it swings up and back, but eventually it'll kind of center somewhere. So hopefully we're reaching a center somewhere where we can have reasonable and tough crime policy while also having criminal justice reform that gives people a second chance of life for, for youthful mistakes. Because there's, there's got to the be a, o- a The only pushback I've heard against Clean Slate is for financial crimes, for businesses hiring like bookkeepers and stuff like that. There's also some pushback on, uh, on uh, victims' rights. In, in cases, but I mean, lo- most of these crimes are going to end up being victim- victimless, but I know there is some pushback on some victimless crime stuff, and I think there's some pushback on, and really it's like kind of a first year thing on the system getting totally clogged up by like traffic offenses getting wiped getting wiped out and, you know, having to process through hundreds of those because uh, a huge percentage of them at the onset would be would be traffic related. Yeah, but that's a known hazard. Like, yeah. you know they're going to have to do this. So. Yeah, but, but you know, the, I, I, and then the, the, the the county attorneys, Commonwealth attorneys, the judges—you know—it's taking away a little bit of their agency in the process, which they just don't like on principle. So, you know, it's it is what it is. Uh, but we'll, we'll we'll see where it comes through the pipe again. Having a, a having Bratcher in the House and Storm in the Senate—that's that's a pretty good start it to is. to get the thing rolling. Um, let's see here. Senate Bill Twenty had a big debate in the floor. Uh, I, I did not watch it. I know Jared and Abby, you guys did. Day, well, all the days are running together. Okay, but, we reached yeah. that point session where the last couple of days. Together. I think it was two days ago. Uh, basically, I think, believe this is a bill filed by Senator Deneen that would lower the age you could charge a juvenile with a violent crime to 15. Um, Senator Westerfield took some exceptions to that because 
he basically said that it's up at, it's usually to the prosecutor and judge's discretion if they charge and when he'd asked for how many times that had been used he did that in the caucus in the in that in the caucus in the uh committee uh he, they didn't give an answer they said and when he said it's because it's zero i think i, I think it, this is all correct feel free to correct me if i'm wrong anybody and so the senator westfield had some problems with it and he's he spoke up about it in the committee and he carried it to the floor and it made a very passionate floor speech and i think senator um carroll did pretty much the same and um it was interesting you're starting to see some cracks and uh in the Republican caucus, that's normal. What day thirty of session? Thirty, yeah, thirty. I think was about the day that that would have happened, and it is totally normal. People, everyone, we're all tired, <laughs> as you all can see in this room. Um, we're tired. Yeah, I mean, it's a podcast, there. so I can see the room. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, about you two. Very good company. It's really normal at this time of year for that to happen. Um, but it, it is a, it is interesting um, that Deneen dug his heels in. And that um, knowing that, that Senator Westerfield chose to go at it so hard. I know it's his last year, but, you know, there are other things on his uh, wish list that he wants to get through. And uh, he, he, that's not a way to get that done. <laughs> uh, I think Whitney's kind of hit a, if I'm going out, I'm going out swinging points. So. Senioritis? Oh, no, going out yeah. swinging. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. That uh, is the new bill to audit JCPs, the JCPS. Don't worry. Everyone who ever talked to me about JCPS always said JCPCS. I don't know why. <laughs> That's a thing. Um, but it is. Uh, yeah. And uh, really targeted just to JCPS. It's not the first time that's happened. You may remember that um, then State Auditor Adam Edlin, who's a Democrat, was asked to do that when he was in office. And so um, it seems to be kind of every decade or so people want to really have someone else take a, a third party look at the district. Um, you know, is, is that a bad idea? No, it's not a bad <laughs> idea. Um, it's your state. It's your, the state's largest district. It's educating one in seven children in Kentucky. Um, it has continued to have difficult issues before it and a lot of problems, very unique populations as well that it serves. Um, and so, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking a second look and making sure everything's, you know, going well. And, you know, if, if you say, all right, we're overstaffed here. Maybe need to cut costs there and put resources elsewhere. That's fine. And, and if I were JCPS, I would welcome the opportunity to prove that I'm doing things right, as well as to find areas where I can do things better. Especially because you have you already have the Elon audit as a as a baseline. It's kind of like polling. You know, yeah. I, I always complain about polling and that polling sucks unless you're doing it to to track progress. And so you already have a benchmark. And so you know now you can come back and kind of a ten year post fact. Do another audit and compare it to that one. See, all right, you know, we did that one and identified shortcomings and problems and places that we did well. You know, how 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 are we doing ten years on compared to that? Did we take the advice? How did we implement the stuff that, that got suggested by it? I, you know, I I think I, honestly, hell, I would have ten years ago, I, I would have enabled it to say, hey, we're we're going to do this in ten years and revisit it. Like, it makes sense to me. There's nothing wrong with it, um, and. Quite frankly, the world is a different place than it was 10 years ago. JCPS has to operate in a different manner than they did. A lot of federal laws have changed that change the way they operate as well. Um, but I, I think they would be naive not to expect this, given the transportation debacle at the beginning of the year. That, at minimum, is reason for a second look. Absolutely. I mean, watching the busing challenges and kids out of school for days and being stranded on the side of the road, like I, as a parent, I cannot imagine having gone through that. Yeah, and my thing's always been, you know, JCBS is, is a very large district, but there are other larger districts in the country, and they figured it out. 
you know, I don't, does Miami Dade complain about this? Does Charlotte Mecklenburg? LA Unified? Well, I mean, they can bust their kids, right? Yes and no. You are seeing more and more transportation issues in urban districts where, um, quite frankly, nobody wants to be a bus driver. It's a hard job. Um, kids are unruly. You can make a lot more with the CBL somewhere else uh, with driving packages. And it doesn't hurt or help, actually, that, you know, UPS is now paying for your college education yeah. and paying you more so on the job. So, yeah. so the bus driver problem, yeah. problem is Amazon and UPS's fault. That's, yes, that's, correct. Yeah, but even those companies are still struggling. I mean, there's a massive shortage of CDL. What, what, if, what if we just put, like, cut off, like, the last two rows of seats at the back of the buses and put package cages? No, and, I like Turn the buses into thinking. delivery vehicles. Yeah. Call it a public-private partnership. Yeah, there you, you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Abby, there's a proposal from uh, I think Danny Carroll put five, uh, $300 million into early childhood education $300 million, yeah, it's a pretty good proposal um, you know, we all know that we struggle with child care nationally especially post-COVID um, but a lot of our conversations in Kentucky uh, in conservative policy have been we've got to get our workforce participation rate higher, the only way to do that fast is to make sure women have a place for their children to go so that they can go to work. We know statistically, it um, actually, this is a really interesting factoid. I was doing a white paper on this last year. And um, when a, uh, so when a, when a partner has a, like, they, sorry, Jared is being weird over here. When they have a child, <laughs> um, the, uh, the onset of having a child causes women to work less and men to work more. Um, so at some point, that triggers women working working less and men working more, which is not surprising about the women, but it is surprising about the men. At any rate, uh, this is the fastest way to get workforce participation up. Um, child care is extremely expensive. And uh, if you want to read my white paper on it, go to the Family Scholar House uh, website, familyscholarhouse.org. Hey, nice plug. There you go. <laughs> Give me your book of the week. You know... That's a pretty, pretty sad book if that's what you're reading. No, no offense, Abby. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll say two things about, about early childhood education. First, uh, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again that uh, in 2007 when I worked for Billy Harper, I had a, uh, a postcard in the – a post-it note or a uh, you know, card in check in my pocket when I gave all the speeches. And I, all I had to do was hit the three bullet points. If I did that, I knew I was a success. And the very first bullet point was invest in early childhood education. Uh, you know, you can't. What, it, if the kids make it about the fourth grade and they're and they're they're behind, it's going to be hard to catch them up. And you, you got you got to, you got to I mean, invest early. The, the studies are there. There's so yeah. much data about how important it is. Uh, one of the things I learned in Indianapolis, Eli Lilly picks up the tap for the entire county for uh, pre-K. Yeah, wow. they fund the pre-K well, for the entire county and, of Indianapolis. And I'll, and I'll say this though too: it's even if your even if your jam policy jam is not uh, uh, reducing uh, learning loss at a higher higher age because you've you've cut them early even if that's not your thing like you said Abby workforce and I've said repeatedly in this podcast I would bet if you attached a fiscal note different a fiscal note on overall economic impact of fully funded universal pre-k in this state I would bet that it comes out as a wash uh, no actually the return on investment is very high yeah no um, I'm, I'm saying depending I, I, on where you go and what models you look at it's anywhere from uh, every dollar you spend you get four back to every dollar you spend you get eight dollars back yeah. Um, it's a winning proposition, quite frankly, financially, um, if not for the reason of it being the right thing to do. But I think the other thing to remember is we look at children as sort of this static, like you can always learn all the time. But, but brains are in development while they're growing. And so it's important to remember that 
if you're losing, if you're not getting kids where they're gaining skills at every step of their neurological development, you're missing opportunities that you can never go back to. So it's important to remember that as content um, grows in the educational system, that brains are also growing and developing. You, it's really hard to go back to a, I mean, not hard, it's impossible. You can't go back to the stage of brain development of a four-year-old when you're seven. And so if you're playing catch up, you're dealing with a whole other scenario. Well, and beyond that, you know, what they're, this is my problem with the way that the schools were handled during COVID. Uh, so much of it was, yes, you're learning like ABCs, you're learning basic math and stuff like that. But more importantly, you're learning how to learn. Like I tell, I tell my nine-year-old this all the time, you know, he'll get frustrated or he'll do bad on the quiz or something. I said, buddy, I'm, I'm not mad at you about the grade. But, the, you know, the fact that, like, that he's got one subject he kind of struggles in. And I said, you need to go ask your teacher, you know, what you're doing wrong, how to do better. Because the stuff they're teaching you is less important than what they're teaching you just procedurally. They're teaching you how to learn and, and how to produce results on, on this type of test. And you're teaching kids how to learn at that age, first, second, third, fourth grade. And let me tell you, I, I learned, I was smart enough, I breezed through and didn't learn good learning habits, and I was I, I had a, a, a two six two six eight high school GP high school GPA. I didn't or, know how to study until I got to college. A two or two eight six high school GPA. I mean, I, two, I, two, three, I three was college the GPA. same way. I mean, that whole thing about learning how to learn that didn't really click for me until college, and then once I did, I felt like my world opened up. And I think that's honestly what interested me in politics and working on Capitol Hill is it was kind of its own form of graduate school. You're always learning something new. You're always around smart people. And so I think being able to teach kids to love to learn, I mean, that is such a important mantra. Um, and right now I have a three and a one-year-old. I am so thankful that I'm able to partner with school and early childhood educators who who their job is to focus on this because you know i'm learning as i go too and you think it's intuitive to go back we all learned as toddlers but you have to really kind of know how to meet your child where they're at and having a good strong partner in an early educator to do that is so reassuring and it just helps you be a better parent and i don't want to beat this to death but um also awesome great points um the other thing to remember too is just that um it's different than daycare yeah right? oh, yeah, i'm not talking about yeah. child care. i always used to say that like our you know there, there's there's hey your kid's alive daycare <laughs> and there's and there's and there's we're, we're actively teaching your child child care right, they're, they're right. two they're two different things because like, that's i was gonna make that the point actually and both that was a point somebody made on twitter is that like you know, they're, they're, like kids don't learn anything anyway at these places, and and I was like, I, I replied to one one of the tweets said with just with no words, just a link to the child development center in the bluegrass up here. Yep. There is every single classroom that's where my kids went. Every single classroom has somebody with a master's in early childhood education leading that classroom. And to your point about teaching your kid how to learn, and like not just the content, but how how do I learn how to learn? Yeah. Um, you know, I was not like. The three of you, I love to study, I love to read, and I studied all the time. Reminder, she was valedictorian of her class. I was, sorry. Um, but, Very much so. um, but we've talked about teacher recruitment and retention on here before, and we've talked about the need for a high-quality teacher. Um, part of when, you, when you're going through your different grade curriculums, 
the curriculum is not designed for you to just absorb content. It is designed to help you think how to how you can like learn how to learn because as your brain develops from the spinal cord back around to the top of your prefrontal cortex, it can handle different kinds of information and different processes that it couldn't handle at earlier stages of development. So when we talk about pedagogy, that's what we mean. This is a really cool bill. I hope it goes somewhere. It's probably wildly expensive. Um, I mean, I guess 300 million is probably very expensive, but it would be worth every penny. Well, and I'll say this too, teacher recruitment, It'd be a lot easier to to retain teachers if you have if the students are, are just better students. Like it, yeah. it makes the teacher's job a lot. You remove a lot of that stress if you're getting the students earlier and teaching them how to learn, and you've just you've got better in the classroom students. And you're teaching them how to be in in school. Yeah. Um, so post COVID, we also saw a lot of this where we had a lot of behavioral issues, not just from the trauma of being home alone, dad lost his job, mom started drinking too much, whatever it is, um, but when you send your children to early childhood, they also teach them how to interact with yeah. other students safely, um, you know, how to be friendly, how to share. All of those social skills begin developing very quickly. So that's another part of that. I feel like there's a lot of people out there who care more about socializing their pets than they do socializing their kids, which is kind of weird. I remain hopeful when I go and I see my three-year-old <laughs> listening and standing in a line and being polite and listening to her teachers way more than she will listen to us at home. And I know that yeah. I'm not a complete fan. Yeah, well, yeah what, 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 you, what you learn is, what you learn rapidly is, the child that you learn about when you go in for your for your parent teacher conference is not the child that you witness at home. There's a, there's a school child and a yeah. home child. Reminds me of during during COVID, there was that Instagram reel or TikTok that showed a kindergartner or a first grade teacher like leading a, a Zoom class, and it was like I mean just constant like okay no you know just constant talking like like holding up signs I mean just absolute chaos on the other end yeah. and she's just sitting there very politely trying to rein him in and I think the caption's like there's no amount of money you could pay me to do this lady's job <laughs> and it's very much that way in person um, and I know we have other topics yeah. to, co- to cover Trey but if you ever had the chance to go on the first day of school to a kindergarten class go in the morning and see these unruly kids and go in the afternoon and you'll be astonished <laughs> Um, two other uh, bills I think that are of interest. One, uh, a DO program has been uh, approved. It's a, I don't know if it, it – I think it it produces the the pathway to, to having one. It doesn't, it doesn't like, create one, but it produces the pathway to having a, uh, a DO program at uh, EKU. Uh, the, Say that all the way out for people who don't aren't familiar with it. Uh, it's a doctorate in osteopathy. There you go. Um, which is similar to an MD, except you actually that osteopathy is interesting because you it's almost like you get a little bit of, a little bit of like chiropractic type stuff in there. It's a lot of like muscle and and, and like body manipulation involved in it. That's the school that you pike has, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, that's school that pike has. So, but ex- except for like chiropractors, they actually teach you medicine, so you know you can like help people and not just you know give them lot, seizures and whatnot. They do a lot of primary care, and you they do. see DOs in a lot of rural areas. So they'll be family doctors. They can do they, they, everything. It's a little from bit more. It's a pediatrician to it's so gonna be like a primary babies. care. It's well, yeah. it's it's a lot of Trey out here taking shots at chiros all of a sudden. No. Not all of a sudden. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Uh, it's 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 a, it's a little bit more like of a whole body type. Just, yeah. it's a, it's a different. They, it's they a, have some natural approaches. It's a slightly different philosophy like in medicine. Care uh, I mean, the Pikeville program's great. And yeah, I think anything we can do to they do train these doctors often to have a heart towards rule care and and serving those communities. And so I think any. I'm looking for the numbers here. We can get here. more of that. That's a good thing. So well, that's glad that. that, that 
it's geared toward rural areas, and they put it at Eastern Kentucky University, uh, which is 12 miles from Lexington and not anywhere near the coal fields. But well, they already, have, they already have one down at Pikeville. So. Uh, yeah, a lot true. of a lot of students who graduate from high schools in Eastern Kentucky go to EKU, and they have a number of satellite offices. Hold on, first before this train leaves the station, I am not knocking EKU. I love EKU. I'm just saying, I think it was. Uh, it was a shot at the people of Appalachia when they put it in Richmond and not in Appalachia. So here, here's well, here, they already have one in Pikeville. Here, here, so, no, I'm talking about when EKU was created. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, West Kentucky's in Bowling Green. You got like three hours ago to again, West Kentucky. Again, <laughs> we're we're bad at geography here. Sorry. <laughs> and West Liberty's East like, of Liberty, Kentucky. It'd be like it'd be again. like if it'd, it'd be like if they put like a southern a Southern Kentucky University in like like Taylor County or something. Like, don't tempt them. Um, an uh, interesting stat, though, uh, that came out during the, the floor debate, uh, Kentucky's three medical schools, which, yeah, which, 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 which would be uh, U-Pike, University of Kentucky, and, uh, and UofL, uh, they received 13,416 applications and enrolled 510 students last year, which has to do wow. with, the, with the seats that they have allocated for, because remember this, too. The seats that we have in, in nursing programs statewide, the seats we have in medical schools statewide, are controlled by boards in Kentucky. Like it's not like, well, that's that's how many we decided to take this year. The, the number of seats they're allowed to offer are are regulated by boards uh, that are based on it's based on staffing and funds of and you know but the, the 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 infrastructure in place to do it. So having an entire other school would really help in a state where we have up seventeen percent of all jobs in Kentucky hospitals are vacant. We need we need nurses, we need techs, and we need doctors. Uh, so I, I think it's 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 a good thing. Uh, another interesting move, uh, House Bill four hundred. It was uh, Richard Heath uh, approved again, not not approving one, but moving towards moving the ball towards potentially having a vet school at uh, Murray State University. Right now, the closest vet school uh, here is to here is Auburn, which you would think which horse, has a partnership with UK, which has a partnership with UK. You think the horse capital of the world? We'd have a vet program here in Kentucky. There are sparingly few i think there's only like 30 or 40 vet vet programs like nationwide there, there's yeah there's sh- not many shockingly few i had no idea wow. uh and, and by the way we have a huge vet shortage in this country both for small animals and large animals with the, the state of much more so in large animals yeah much worse than large animals state of kentucky's been through like four large animal uh, like state vets that were churning through them both state vet and deputy state vet corals couldn't keep one in because they they were they were retired or moved to other states where they got paid a lot more money it's there. We have a huge vet shortage. It's uh, and for a state like us, where uh, everybody knows the horse industry, people forget we are the largest beef cattle yep. state this side of the Mississippi. Yep. Uh, we have uh, increasingly large uh, uh, buffalo herds for for buffalo meat. We have increasingly large uh, sheep and, and goat herds. Uh, alpacas and llamas are big. Uh, and don't forget, we are one of the largest uh, egg producing states in the country as well. I didn't know that. Uh, oh, yeah. cheap, cheap electricity. Yeah. When, when they so what happened was when California. That's how we got the car industry here when, too. When, when, Cal, when, when California pinched down on and, and made it so like you know you have to have so much space in the cages and whatever oh, for the hens. They all the egg companies that were out there wanted to move. Well, people don't know this. Egg production is incredibly energy intensive, which we'll get. Hey, this is great. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were segue into cockfighting. So no, I'm glad you went to energy, no. energy intensive. Egg, egg production is very energy intensive because you have to keep the hen house heated, oh, and so a lot, a, a lot of those egg producers when they left California came to Kentucky because we had the lowest kilowatt per hour energy rate in the country, and. You can get your product anywhere to market, uh, U.S. or globally, right. by sticking on the river or putting on one of the many interstates. Cut what is thing. the thing they say? We're like a day's drive from how, what percentage of the country? Like, I've heard that. Population. Right? Like two-thirds of the population. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like 75, 80% of the yeah. population is a day, two days drive from 
Yeah. Kentucky doesn't have much going for it naturally, except for coal and limestone and bourbon. Um, but but logistically, we're well suited. Yes. Um, let's see here. Uh, I just took a quick note of, of interest to keep an eye on. It looks like there may be yet another UAW strike in Louisville. Uh, this one having to do with local contracts. And I think Caleb was worried before they came that... Do I need to call Todd Dunn? That, that, well, it, the, the Ford CEO was saying, like, well, maybe we need to look at a new place to produce our trucks. Yeah, it's some Ooh. serious threats. Like, uh, we may need to rethink where we produce vehicles in the future. And he was saying it in reference to the, you know, settlements that were taking place towards the end of the year. But apparently there's now an ongoing negotiation at the local level and they're complaining about health and safety standards. Um, so I don't I don't know what's going on there, but obviously they're a huge employer in the region and and don't want to see Ford exiting Kentucky anytime soon. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, and it's a big deal, but also, I mean, if you look around the country, we are seeing unions I mean, rising up all over. The, where are they going to go that that's not going to happen? I don't well, know. We've talked about it before. I think it's. I think a lot of it has to do with the, the tradition. Mexico. Traditionally, there was a union party and a in a in an anti union party, and with Trump bringing in so many blue collar workers and union people in with him in, in the Republican Party, there's not really a party of union opposition anymore. So I think they're kind of seizing the moment to take back some of their power. Ford's history is so interesting too. I mean, you know, Kentucky is now a right to work state. Obviously Ford was here before we became a right to work state, but they are so synonymous with the UAW workers. Like I, I wonder even if they did go to a Tennessee, if they would successfully fend off a unionization effort. Cause I feel like it's been so part of their DNA for such a long time, but that's just, I mean, I don't know if there's any science behind that or actual um, things that would come to fruition, but I, you know, when you think Ford, of Ford, you think here. of uh, the auto workers. Abby, Abby's humbly asked Ford to please well, stay in Kentucky. Well, when they're, they're like $6 billion investment in Glendale, it'd be hard for them to actually go through on that threat to leave. But once again, with our logistics, you, you, can, you can make the battery there and get it anywhere. So. Yeah. Um, let's see. I got a couple of things. If, uh, I, want, I want to talk a little bit about DEI. If you want to hear what I want to talk about on that, you can go listen to my Larry Glover appearance yesterday. Listen to, to the uh, to, uh, well, 1 o'clock hour. Uh, talked about that. Uh, the 12 o'clock hour is much superior. We, we did. So Jared sat in for the, fir- for the first hour. And uh, my favorite backhanded compliment that we got, uh, we did get, you know, because there's, I, I can pull up the, the uh, WVLK text line. Yeah, I can see the text coming Yeah, and line. Jared can see it too. And, and some, somebody texted in and said, pretty good show today, better than I expected. Yes. That's, what, <laughs> I, that's the excellence we strive for at the 12 so, o'clock hour. So oh. at 2 o'clock, Philip Bailey called in. And after Philip was on, the same person texted and said, that that last guest was a modern was a modern day racist. God. Still a good show though. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, uh, our our uh, friend of the podcast, Rabbi Lipkin, he had a he had an interesting day at the Lexington City Council yesterday. Uh, local government, Parks and Rec style. Um, had a huge so there, there was I guess the anti the pro Hamas anti uh, uh, Israel I don't people back. understand and I don't want to get off on the sidetrack but I don't understand what a resolution what that has to do with city government why are they there I, I, I love is there potholes trash not getting picked up I, potholes what, I mean yes Hamas is causing the potholes and or Israel's <laughs> causing the potholes not to get filled it's it's the Jews who are blocking the pothole filling. I mean, <laughs> It's, what's Mayor Gordon going to do about Israel and Palestine? <laughs> well, in all fairness, there has been a lot of vandalism around the city. Yeah, um, mostly people that are pro-Palestine, yeah, spray yeah, painting, yeah. <laughs> spray painting sure. Israel stuff on things. 
Uh, <laughs> they spray paint City Hall? No, no, but they spray painted the fence out here off Alumni. Oh, yeah, Twice. I saw that. I saw Twice. That. And they spray painted the, uh, the the sign on New Circle that said the, the, the exit sign that said that the, the Alumni is coming up. They spray painted Free Palestine underneath that. Uh, I did retweet today. Uh, there's a Free Beacon article, which you can think what you want about Free Beacon. But I have thoughts. But the article is <laughs> well sourced and has all the video evidence in it. Uh, talking about how what chaos Stanford University's campus is in right That's now. Insane, yeah. It like it's just go go read it. It's and I, I tweeted out and I think if 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 I were in college the same way that I wasn't that I the same way that I thought and behaved in college when I was there. If I was in college today, I would either be expelled, suspended, or getting my ass kicked daily by some like mob of people. Like I just I don't know how any right-minded person with an opinion could survive on these campuses like, right now. This is the oldest I've ever felt in my life because now I get why the older generation looks at the younger generation and they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, it's just like, what are they doing? That makes no sense. You're an Ivy League, basically an Ivy League school. Get your education. Go run a startup. You're at Stanford, for God's sakes. Like, come on. Go be bad at football. Like, like go to class and go to the beach. Exactly. Like, it's not that hard. Apparently uh, it is. Jared, it's uh, apparently who would have thought that uh, your life expectancy should you be sent to a Serbian or uh, not a Serbian? You did it again. I did it again. You did it again. <laughs> I did she be, 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 be sent to a gulag near the Arctic Circle? Like uh, who would have thought that that would have that that'd be bad for your life? By the way, after having been uh, poisoned multiple times, so. Uh, if you have Navani, no- was it Navani? How do you say his last name? Uh, Navani. Navani was uh, Putin's leading opposition uh, political uh, rival, I guess. Yes. He had a lot of followers, had a YouTube channel. He, 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 well, so he, he had millions of followers in Russia. He had left Russia. He came back in 2012. Yeah. He, tried, he, tr- right. he tried to run. He was going to run for mayor of Moscow. Correct. They trumped up some false uh, charges on him. That they couldn't actually sustain in court, but they sustained. even in a Russian court. Yeah, but they sustained oh, wow. long enough to to prevent him from running for mayor. Then they brought the charges back up when he was trying to run for president to prevent him from getting on the ballot. Then, then somebody sprayed his face with yeah, like so a I blue. Talk, I want to talk about this real quick. Yeah. So he was on a commercial flight in 2020, and he was, as the Russians are known to do, he was poisoned with a well, number no, of pre, agents. Predates that when he got sprayed in the face. Oh, I'll with talk a, about the 2020. Before that, he got sprayed in the face with a like a blue antiseptic. That that, uh, the, uh, that dyed his face green for like a month and a half and messed up the vision in one of his eyes. Yeah. Uh, and, and what Jared's going to talk about, by the way, I think was the third poisoning attempt on him. So this cat had nine lives. They all ran out today. But um, he uh, he was on a commercial flight. He was poisoned with a nerve agent, which is this, uh, the the only reason he survived is the pilot made an emergency landing and got a medical. Uh, not not in Russia, by the way. Not in Russia. Was going they, to they allowed him to go to Germany. He recovered in Germany for two years, and this is. By the way, was it a medically induced coma for about half of that? Correct. Jeez. Correct, and it's, it's a miracle he survived that. And I mean, this is where the story is. And is as, soon, as soon as he was on his travel, he got right back on the plane and went back to Russia. Yes, I was, yeah, I was getting to that, Trey. He's modern day modern. <laughs> he knew he was going to be arrested when he landed back in Russia. He could have stayed in Germany. He went back to Russia, was promptly arrested, and now he's dead. By the way, he appeared yesterday. He, he looked he, fine. He appeared yesterday on TV at a, at a, at a hearing. Like on a a, a a closed caption court hearing, looked fine today. He he suddenly fell ill in the yard of the gulag, and that was going to be my question: was what? How did he actually die? And how are they saying oh, he died? They're saying he died of a blood clot. 
But they don't have a window to push him out of. That's so. what I said. They, they said he, yeah, he, he fell ill. I was like, fell like a window? Yeah, that's, is there a window that I mean, I, I, I mean I, I'm, part of me is kind of perversely interested to see what new and creative way uh, Putin... You know, cause, so Putin's getting, getting more creative. He went a long time where he only killed people by shoving them out of windows. Now he's got one that he... he well, he blew up a shorgan. One, 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 he blew up a plane with a, with, a, with a fake bottle of wine, or a fake cask of wine. Yes. And now he got this one. He's, sure. he's entering his full Bond villain yes, era. Like, yes. he's, he's really into it. So, so Putin... Putin and, and by the way, Russian elections are coming up in about a month and a half. Elections. Oh. Well, but, but, I mean, Putin... Putin is bizarre because he, uh, much like uh, uh, really all of the dictators of North Korea, public appearances are are still very important to them. And the appearance of winning an election, the appearance of like having a high turnout and having a high turnout for him is important to him. And, you know, I think there's people in Russia who, I, I know there's mass arrests going on right now as we record this at, at 2.57 on Friday, there, there's video on Twitter of, of mass arrests occurring, people out protesting. Uh, frankly, people, some of them aren't even protesting. They're just out, like, memorializing. They're not, like, holding up signs saying Putin's got to go. But Well, they uh, stopped. They were laying flowers at, at a yeah. monument, and they, they closed yeah. it off for a bomb threat. Let's talk about the week Putin's had. So we got Tucker Carlson. What, what a, Being what a fuck, fascinated what by a Moscow. Fucking, what a fucking useless. He's a he's traitor. Been, he's never been to an Aldi. Like, he, like the video. You have to go watch the video of him. Don't give him the clicks. Be, being being fascinated with the with, <laughs> with the shopping cart that you put a coin in and it they have that in every up. Tesco in the United Kingdom and Aldi's here and, and in the airport. <laughs> yeah. Like th- this yeah, dude. But Tucker Carlson has probably never had to go to the grocery store himself. No. So I, I mean, this guy is a. a and he he sounds stupid. Like I wonder if, if when they recorded that and, and they like they clipped it up and they put it online, if they're like, no man, like no, oh, this is great. This is some good good stuff. Although his grocery trip is unintentional great comedy. Yeah, it? it's like it's something. Like the, it's like a Daily Show video. It is. It's a Daily oh, Show okay. video. What did he get? What did he, what I did don't he know. shop? For? He just talked about how wonderful the supermarkets are and how cheap everything was, even though Russians pay what. Thirty percent of their income for food, uh, something much higher than Americans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all right. So, Putin, Putin's had a week. I got a hat tip to the criminal mastermind. Well, and, and you got to remember, so, so, Tucker Carlson's there. He kills his arch rival, and what's going on in Munich? The 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 uh, uh, the, the NATO conference. Yeah, the NATO conference. Yeah. I mean, Putin does, has a flair for the dramatic. Uh, you know, my hope is my hope Including though the space nukes, which we'll get to. My hope though is that this this will spur the people who are on the fence. I mean, because you're not going to get some of these hardline oh, people who, who are... Johnson's blocking Ukraine. Well, I was going to say, a, you, you, you got some people who are, who are clearly just off the reservation uh, of any common sense in Congress on, on, on Ukraine. My hope is that this will spur some of those people who are in the middle to to maybe come back to their good senses and, and approve that Ukraine fund. It does seem like rank-and-file Republic, House Republicans are trying to figure a way to get the bill on the floor. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been... Um, interesting to watch from the federal perspective um you know i think speaker johnson is still a quantity that folks are trying to get more used to and to understand how he um operates but you know you saw the senate take a hit with taking up the border um negotiations that have been underway for a long time uh you know originally that was done to try and give house republicans some coverage and to try and see if there could be some incremental uh, progress made there. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I think both uh, Leader Schumer and Leader McConnell, I mean, they had to get Israel and Ukraine across the finish line. So they did. Um, and now we're all kind of waiting to see what the House does and if they can get across the finish line there as well. 
I'm looking to find, I know that I quote tweeted it. I'm looking to find the exact quote from McConnell the other day that I thought was, I thought was fantastic when the, uh, when, when the funding passed, because he was, he was very blunt that, that this is, uh, here, here it is. Yeah. Uh, he said, the Senate understands the responsibilities of America's national security and, we, and will not neglect them. Today, we faced a clear test of that resolve. Our adversaries want America to decide that reinforcing allies and partners is not in our interest and that investing in strategic competition is not worth it. They want us to take a hard-earned, uh, to take hard-earned credibility and light it on fire. But today, the Senate responded by reaffirming a commitment to rebuild and modernize our military, restore our credibility, and give the current commander-in-chief as well as the next more tools to secure our interests. History settles every account. I love that. Oh. And today, on the uh, and today on the value of American leadership and strength, history will record that the Senate did uh, did not. Uh, buh, 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 buh. Well, they, just I just have a quick question for um, Catherine. Though that line was beautiful. History settles every account. Is that something he would have written? So he has a team of speech writers I mean, and, and press that. folks but, but it sounds like something he would normally just naturally yeah i mean you spend five minutes with him and i don't care where you are on the political spectrum um you know it's you know you're listening to something important and he has a great way of phrasing things i will say he does have a team that helps prepare a lot of remarks it's everyone from policy advisors to the press folks but he also cares a lot about how he is um communicating particularly in moments like this so it's definitely a collaborative process it's something that he cares a lot about shout out to one of my drinking buddies shout out to one of my drinking buddies when i was in dc uh last week stephanie penn yes <laughs> penn we love you <laughs> um all right so let's move on from that and stay kind of russia russia centric russia adjacent mike turner chair of house intelligence uh he had a little he had a day the other day uh, he put out a very panicky public statement. Dude, my blood pressure rose so high after that. Uh, if you didn't like, follow, help me out, man. Representative Mike Turner of Ohio's chair of House Intelligence put out a statement basically saying that there's an urgent threat to U.S. national security and kind of ended it there and said, like, the White House isn't telling us. And it, like, like, I went out and looked up at the sky, like, <laughs> the nukes coming? Yeah. As it turns out, it's... Did China go to Taiwan? As it turns out, it's actually Russia developing... Uh, and, and and now there's some debate as to what it actually is. It sounds like it's it's first it was thought that it was like space nukes, but it turned it's more more than more than likely more like an EMP that can disrupt and destroy satellite operation. Uh, should there be a, a, an outbreak of, of of war or something, they can they can they can basically disable our satellites and, and satellite based communications from space, not have to shoot something up at them that already have things up there that could either shoot them down or use EMPs to, to disable them. So why do you think you sent that message? I don't know. Like, I was frankly shocked. And then everybody walked it back so quick. And the, yeah, well, they have to because, I mean, you know, when you have... But, but he did, uh, he did, put out another statement and was like, no, the White House needs to declassify. Like, yeah, I mean, I think time will tell why he felt the need to sound the alarm like that. I think in all my time on the Hill... I, I was shocked to see a chairman make a comment like that and, you know, panic ensues. I, I made the comment yesterday. It was like, the, these are moments when, you know, you, I remember what it's like to be on Capitol Hill and there's live threats and, you know, that statement could have been read as anything. It could have been an imminent threat or to the safety of those on Capitol Hill. It could have been to the president. I mean, you just never know. And you got to take those things seriously, particularly when it's coming from a serious 
or a member that has a serious position like right. that. And they have access to information that the rest of us do not. So I was pretty shocked to see him go out on a limb like that. Um, you know, I have to be a little careful here because I do still do a lot of federal work. But, um, you know, I think uh, only thing I can say is time will tell and maybe we'll learn more as the information and process unfolds. But, of course, you immediately saw Speaker Johnson and others having to walk it back and trying to to ensure that there's not some imminent threat and that that uh, we're okay. It's but. pretty rare we see this, the, the like the Speaker's office, the Senate, and the White House all kind of like making the same move. I mean, it just, you know, it happens in Frankfurt too, it happens in yeah. D.C., but it just gives you a little insight. Can you imagine being the Speaker and just being no, like, what? I <laughs> and I would never worked in D.C., never anywhere that fancy or uh, impressive, but I will say when I saw that, someone sent it to me in a, in a group uh, text and I was like, I contemplated going home because I was like, I'm not dying in the basement of the annex. It's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> Mason, actually, you can die in you can die in the first floor of some temporary structure. Well, I think it's going to be on top of the parking garage. Is what the current plan is. Is what I've heard. I've always thought that parking garage was going to kill me. Like I always think it's going to collapse and kill me every time I'm in there. Well, because the elevators only work half the time. Or or your or your celery is going to get stuck and you're going to go flying through the the, the walls around around around. And... I think the most likely scenario for that garage is that the rats have eaten into the structure and one day it'll just crumble in on itself and fall into the river. Um, Jerry, we were talking earlier about the NATO conference. Um, Donald Trump this weekend said that uh, he would. If you don't pay your NATO dues, for, well, first of all, he wants to pull out of NATO, which the second part would be hard to do if we if we were to pull out. But then he said if we he, that if we are in NATO and you don't pay your NATO dues, that not only would the U.S. not protect you, he would actively encourage Russia to attack you. That's a this is a former president, right? That's a way to go. I mean, that's, of all of all the policies you could have, that's one. Jared is opening his DraftKings, right? Are we interrupting you, sir? No. Jared's got to you, you got you got you got to double down your money on Marist minus four and a half. I did take Marist. <laughs> <laughs> I did take Marist. Are we where are we winning? I want anyone who's concerned about Jared's gambling habit to know that I require regular installments of his winnings into our bank account. <laughs> winnings being the keyword. Yep, that's the reason. There were no installments in January. <laughs> <laughs> no was there in my account. Um. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, quite the position for a former president running for running to be re- running for what office else, again. What else can you say that hasn't been said? It's, yeah. That's that's not a serious comment. Um, borderline treasonous. Last thing we'll leave it on is uh, FBI informant who uh, whose testimony is the large basis of the House impeachment efforts uh, coming through Congressman Comer's committee uh, was arrested this week or I guess charged this week on lying to the FBI about pretty much everything that he had told. Uh, Congress, so that's a that's a thing. Okay, uh, I'm not sure Fox News covered that in depth last night. I mean, if I'm Comer, I'm pissed, and I'm oh, I'm, I, and, I'm, yeah. I'm, and I'm following charges against that dude too for contempt of Congress, just piled yeah. on top. Um, all right, let's talk about energy. One of my favorite topics. I'm uh, for it. I'm for it. One one that I've I've <laughs> I've worked on for a long time. Uh, we need you. <laughs> you know, if 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 the listening out there don't know, you know, I, I did work for. Uh, for count on for count on coal, I guess his face is a coal first, and then became count on coal. Done work for the American uh, Coalition to Clean Coal Energy. I uh, did work for the uh, the, uh, the Coal County Judge Coalition. Uh, so it's a it's you know it's an issue that I'm in. By the way, I'm not from a coal coal county, not from anywhere around coal country, but spent enough time down there among those people to understand not just the impact of coal uh, on on our economy, but on those regions. 
and just I've immersed myself learning a lot more about energy policy because uh, I think I think it's fascinating because I think we we really have said the podcast a bunch of times we really screwed up we we skipped like four generations of energy production we when we shut down nuclear after Three Mile Island we basically just like froze ourselves in 1960s energy production and to me the smartest thing we can do is and I'm, we'll talk about this because uh, a lot of a lot of uh, what Caitlin's group is talking about is is replacement of current capacity and kind of how we how we move forward and and how how we how we move forward responsibly uh when people used to get mad at me at the state fair when i was running the, the faces of coal or, or or ace booth i used to always tell them I said, listen the most expensive research you can do is next-gen energy research so but coal's cheap so use cheap coal power to put coal out of business and now it looks like we're 30 to 40 years away from fusion being a reality being commercially available and that can replace everything. That's the game changer. That's how, if you want to get to Mars, that's how you get to Mars. It's fusion. That's if you want to if you want to get to zero climate emissions, that's how you get there. But yeah. we got thirty to fifty years to go. Yeah, <laughs> we actually saw a little activity on that in Frankfurt this week with a bill um, on nuclear development and research. So I, I think uh, that's absolutely right. Nuclear is definitely an important part of the conversation, but we're not there yet. Um, um, we saw they tried to. Uh, I think it's Southern Company. They've brought a modular system on board in Georgia and it's been several billions over budget. It took several years longer oh, it was than a they train thought. Wreck. There's lots of interesting stories about how out of whack that, that program And it's got. unfortunate. I mean, look, we, we need these modular systems to work. I mean, I think it's going to be absolutely an important part of our energy future, but again, we're just not there yet. Um, but I'll take a step back and talk a little bit about, um, what we're doing at Dependable Power First Kentucky. Um, as Trey noted at the start of the podcast, uh, I wear a number of different hats, but currently serve uh, as the executive director of this group. And we're working on building out a coalition of folks to really hone in on the need for reliable and affordable energy. Uh, we've all grown up in Kentucky and, and are lifelong Kentuckians and can tell you, we talked about this at the start of the podcast as well. Like we've been able to attract employers and businesses to this state because historically we have had an abundance of reliable and affordable energy that we can advertise on and that we can promote and that our citizens have all benefited from. And so, you know, I think that there's a lot of concern that we are slowly moving away from that foundational piece of who we have historically been as Kentuckians. And, you know, a lot of that comes from national trends, um, both from outside think tanks and environmental groups, but it also is being significantly driven by federal regulations and policies that we're seeing, we saw in the Obama administration and we're seeing again now under the Biden well, administration. That, I think that was huge, you know, because that, oh, during Obama was when I was doing most of the coal work. And yeah. that, that's one of the things that we talked about most frequently. That was the is, front lines. Well, like, and... I, I talked to a coal operator one time who told me that they had like they had something like 320 days in a calendar year producing coal and they had like 340 days in a calendar year with an inspector of some uh, either a state or federal agency on, on their job site. They had more more days with a, a inspector from an agency on their job site than they had days actively mining coal. Oh, I believe it. I've I've toured and gone underground several times, or I guess twice, and both times we were accompanied by someone from OSHA. Or I, I know somebody who got, once got once got a thousand dollar fine because not because they didn't have a can of wasp of wasp spray in the uh, in the like the portalette there at the job site. 
because they didn't have two backup cans. Now, they would have gotten fined even if they'd only had one backup can. You had to have two backup cans or else you get fined. This uh, may come as a surprise to some of y'all, but I was a, uh, I still am a pro coal Democrat. I worked for Daniel Monjardo when he ran for U.S. Senate. I've been underground. I've been in the same room with those coal operators. Rocky and I have had many conversations. Uh, you know, and it's just the overregulation that uh, happened is, is you know, in full disclosure, we represent a coal, a coal operation. Um, but it just yeah, you don't, we don't require disclosure in the podcast. Oh my bad. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just a plot. <laughs> and so I mean, like I, I do agree with a lot of exactly what you're saying. Um, my, you know, I just think natural gas became a big problem for coal. And are you are you like all of the so, above? Yeah, or? no, no, okay. no. I think we should take a step back. We are not a. Yeah, coal only. Coal, coal's important. Absolutely, coal, we're only talking we about are, coal because it's Kentucky, and, this, and it's what we have. This group genuinely launched because we want to have an adult conversation on what an all of the above energy strategy really looks like. I think over the past couple of years, we've learned a lot, and we've learned the hard way through Winter Storm Elliot, through Storm Yuri, and and some other challenges we've seen in states uh, like California and Texas that really the best strategy moving forward is a di- diverse one. There's room for renewables. Absolutely. That is the future. And we're going to keep moving towards that future. And we support moving towards that future. But we don't have the battery capacity currently to make it reliable. Uh, a lot of these, you know, the renewables are propped up to a certain extent by government subsidies and taxes. Uh, so that's not insignificant. And then when you have these regulations on top of it, when it comes to coal fire generation and to some extent natural gas generation, that skews the market. So these utilities around the state, they do what they have to do to move forward to try and provide energy to their customers and abide by these impending regulations. But a lot of times that is leading to premature retirements of coal, which is something that we do want to caution against. So no, we're not a coal only group by any means. We have members um, across the board. I don't think you said you say the same. There's a lot of places that are trying to also retire natural gas. And it's, yeah. it, it's, it's about, it's about if you're going to replace, it's about reliability and capacity. Can, yeah. can you, can you, whatever you're replacing it with, are they, we can't trade one, you know, two for one. One, one, be one megawatt one. of gas is not the same as a megawatt of coal. It's yeah. not the same as a right. megawatt of solar. It's not the same as a megawatt of wind. And so I think particularly when it comes to coal and natural gas, they work really well together. Gas is absolutely a reliable and a good source, but you cannot rely on it only. We learned about this in Winter Storm Elliott when we had a breakdown and freezing of various infrastructure pieces. We couldn't get gas through the pipelines quickly enough, and we couldn't ramp up some of the coal. The coal plants did step in to try yeah, and coal, coal if you're not a coal, you go, hey, go need more coal. <laughs> but, you know, obviously it's the middle, middle of the winter when you don't have the sun shining as bright. You, right. We don't have much wind here anyways, but the system got overloaded. And that would happen with any over-reliance on any particular source. So I've seen that in a lot of places too. Yeah. And I know we've plugged this book on the podcast before, um, but it's called The Grid by, uh, I think her name is Gretchen Back. Um, and it talks about week. But it's a, it's it really goes um, into the history of how we became so reliant on electricity, specifically in this country, and leads me to another issue of like I think there's a lot of 
um, accusations and miscommunications about different types of energy. Because if you think about it, like, all right, we're talking about EVs all over the place in Frankfurt, right? Oh, my goodness. But, but we're charging those cars with coal-fired plants, right? And like so, we, <laughs> in, in particular, when we bring these battery plants online, which is, is a great bright spot for the state right now when it comes to economic development and job growth, but those plants are extremely energy intensive. And so there is a question legitimately when you talk to folks around the state who are focused day in and day out on economic development and trying to attract new talent and new businesses, you know, we have to power these plants. And then is there going to be enough energy and resources if we want to bring another industrial employer to the region? And so basically what um, our members have uh coalesce behind is we want to have those conversations with the economic development groups, with the employers, with the industrial folks, and with leaders and communities to try and better articulate this challenge that we're facing. Because at the end of the day, the average citizen goes and turns on their light switch. They take for granted. I take for granted that when I go and turn my light on, that my light will just turn on. And I am not happy when the woods where we live loses well, power that's for what, that's days what, on end. That's why you need a whole home generator for Generac. Ours is getting, it's reaching its end life, so Generac for that plug if you want to bring a new one out. Uh, <laughs> or subsidize the podcast. Uh, and, you know, it's a the grid is complex. I don't think that we're under any illusion that we're going to be able to educate every um, person on, on how they get electricity day in and day out. We can certainly talk about it and try. But at the end of the day, we need to be more proactive as we're watching this come on the horizon. The energy markets move slowly. When these utilities submit their resource like plans. 25 years, yeah, they have 30 to plan years plan out yeah. for decades. And those have to typically, in states like Kentucky, they have to be approved. You have open comments, all of that. So we have the ability to see what the next 10 years hold as far as retirements of baseload generation. And when I say baseload generation, I mean coal and natural gas, um, coal really in this case. But, um, you know, we are taking hundreds. I think Kentucky is slated over the next four years to retire 900 megawatts of coal. And so then the question is, we had rolling blackouts in 2022, and that's not that long ago. And so if we are running into challenges like that, why are we retiring, in some cases, plants before they are at the end of their Well, and I think, you know, what I appreciate, having done a lot of work in this space, what I appreciate about what y'all are doing is like when I was doing it, and I think this is just the development of the messaging from the the fossil fuel industries, industries natural gas and, and coal, is back when I was doing it. Was, it was a lot of reaction. It was yes. it was it was largely because for a long time coal operated with their head in the ground and thought we're doing things the right way, we're doing things safely, we're doing things as cleanly as we as we can, and still and still do what we're doing. Um, people will just leave us alone if we just do our job right, and that as as I will tell any industry. If you're if you show up in the editorial pages of a newspaper and that's your mindset, you're going to eventually be rent out of business. And the coal industry got I mean, they were legitimately on the edge of that. The Obama administration was incredibly hurtful. They were uh, they put their their thumb on the on the scale of whether it was in the case of coal, they're actually putting their thumb on the scale for natural gas and then pulled the rug up from underneath natural gas. Yeah. Uh, if you remember, my favorite was the uh, the Beyond Coal people, which was like. Bloomberg and all these other environmentalists giving the Beyond Coal program all this money, and then once they once they felt like they were comfortable with how they had killed off the coal industry, 
Because Beyond Coal's goal was to move from coal to natural gas. And then guess what they said? Yeah, fuck you, natural gas. <laughs> and it, it turned all that money right back against natural slope, gas. But, but but my point is 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 they forced they forced again, it's a it's a ten to thirty year decision that you have to make like today. And they forced retirements of coal planned retirements of coal of coal fire facilities without adequate idea of how to replace the capacity. They just they, they it was kinda like, well we'll figure it out when we get there. Well we haven't. Well and so my question to you would be, you know, we've talked about you can see a little bit into the future a bit, you know, in the next twenty five years, but we've also talked about we're not gonna hit uh, you know nuclear for thirty to fifty years. How close are Fish. we different difference between nuclear and, and, and fish. Uh, but how close are we to hitting like Texas levels of blackouts? Those rolling blackouts that have been hitting them just wave after wave. So I'm, uh, to, truth be told, I'm, I'm continuing to learn exactly what all went down. Well, remember, Texas, te- te- I mean, I Texas is not plugged into the national grid. We can, yeah, they, have their, they have their own. We can buy power from so, other states. And, and there, that's true. I, what I will say, just as a caveat to that, so we do, um, we purchase powers or power from PJM, MISO. Um, there's a southeastern grid operator. So those are kind of like our insurance policies, right? Like if you aren't producing enough and you need more, you go to the grid system and, and, and we also produce power that goes into that grid. But you'll, you know, I'm hearing increasingly about sort of bad actor states and I'm, Texas is sort of, I'm going to set that aside for a minute, but you know, you have a lot of these states that are going fully green and they want to retire all coal plants and they want to rely only on natural gas and renewables and that is at the expense of other states who are trying to approach it in a more responsible manner because at the end of the day when those states if there's a pipeline issue or if they have transmission lines that freeze or that malfunction they're going to be going to the grid and saying, hey, we need more power from you and that leaves the rest of us vulnerable who also need to be able to go to the grid when we hit peak cold weather or when we hit a peak hot summer day. And so, you know, I think that just goes back to the point of um, coal, natural gas, they're extremely important. Both are important. Both have their, um, you know, good qualities and challenges, but that is also why I like having a diverse mix and maintaining the baseload generation until we get to a place where we have better storage or where we have nuclear or we are able to replace that capacity in a way that is equally as reliable and affordable as what is offered by natural gas and coal you know we're just not there yet and so i think um we need time to continue to research to develop that we need to be able to use our coal plants and our natural gas plants through their entire life cycle and we don't need to retire them prematurely in pursuit of more uh renewables renewables are great but they're intermittent and we cannot rely on those when a huge storm comes through or store they're overloaded. Yeah. You can, yeah, for, you can for limited. batteries, but it's just limited. So you can't store enough. And, and remember, and, and weather affects the batteries. I mean, for like a rainy day. When, I mean, when you look at, when you look at Chicago during these cold snaps, like you had cars, you had Teslas dying at the charging station because they wouldn't take the charge. And then you had cars waiting to charge, dying in line because the batteries, the batteries ability, the, the amount of time they could hold the charge and their ability to take the charge is affected by cold weather. So, you know that that becomes an issue for like northern states. It's not gonna, you know, that's not gonna be viable. You know, again, I get back to kind of how we started this conversation. We screwed up. 
after Three Mile Island, we abandoned next-gen energy research. We kind of stopped. I mean, let's face it. At the, end, here. at the end of the day, now battery battery technology is advanced, but solar technology is still basically a 1970s technology. We we basically froze our energy research for a long time period, like in the in the late 60s, early 70s. We're only now starting to to move, and and fortunately, we're being smart and we're looking not at we're not researching this what should be this gen energy. We're researching next gen energy, and in 40 years, you'll be able to power your entire house for a month on a gallon of water. That's the way vision works. You know, it's it's hydrogen. Hydrogen atom smashing, and and if the technology plays out the way that people believe it will, eventually you'll be you'll have a little generator for your house. You'll pour a gallon of water in, you're, and you got power for like a, a month. But back to Abby's point too. I mean, you know, so we we're seeing these warning signs, right? And we're seeing states with rolling blackouts. We had them here in Kentucky not too long ago. And rather than you know taking a step back and postponing the retirements of some of that baseload generation, we're seeing a lot of states and utilities continue to move forward with that. And I, that, It's political. It's, it's not economic. It, it's it, not science. Unfortunately, it does get political, which it shouldn't be. I mean, this is something that we all need and that we should all care about. Um, but it, it comes back to the federal regulations, yeah. too. I mean, the current rules that are being proposed and that should be finalized soon, they're going to make it impossible to operate a coal plant. It won't be feasible to meet the requirements and or financially you can't do it either like um in order to have a coal plant operating in uh, 10 or 11 years at under this proposed rule you have to have carbon capture in, installed and i think um no matter what you know how much or how little you know about carbon capture i think the point that i'll just say is that it's promising technology we're not there yet it's it's, and it's, it's inefficient it's a ways off it's inefficient at best it, yeah non-functional at worst <laughs> we've been trying to make it work for years and years and years uh through research and through small demonstration plants and i hope that it gets there but you know in all likelihood if if this regulation goes into place we won't have any coal plants around to figure out if it works or not so um i think i think we just want to add a voice to those employers to Kentuckians who care about the issue of reliability and affordability and really just try and highlight that through this group. So that's what we're focused on. I think um, we want to look at these warning signs, both that we're seeing in other states, but also from different regulators and from the grid operators who are saying, whoa, 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 we need to take a step back and look at this and take reliability seriously. And so we're working to coalesce a group of Kentuckians to add our voices to that. If people call, if people want to get involved, yeah, if people want to learn and find out more, where can they go? Yeah. So um, please go to our website. It's dependable power first, Kentucky. Uh, we have information there. Like I said, we're making the rounds, um, speaking to local groups and, and, um, so hopefully I'll run into you and some of you in person, uh, and happy to answer questions there. But yeah, we, we have a website there. You can sign up. We have various blog posts and you'll be seeing op-eds and, and various other efforts to continue to try and get the word out. Excellent. All right. Hey, Trey, can I borrow $360 million? Uh, would you take three hundred fifty-four? I don't know. You might want to give it to Trump. The judge just hit him with three hundred sixty million Ooh. and barred him from running businesses in New York for three years. Yes. So there's that. Uh, a couple. One. One. Last news I want to get to that I forgot to bring up earlier. Um, you know, Kentucky. What should Leader McConnell not run again in two years? Obviously, that's a huge power base that Kentucky loses. You also have the dean of the house, Sal Rogers, who 
obviously will probably not be in, in Congress at some point in the future, I would assume, unless he's just immortal and he'll be there forever. He could be immortal. Which, I mean, if you heard his voice, he sounds like the voice of God. It could yeah. be. Um, it's like those old, the old uh, yellow refrigerator from the 70s. <laughs> Hal Rogers is time eternal. Um, uh, uh, and uh, But one thing I don't want, don't want to mention is this week it was announced, I guess in the last week, and then today actually looking through Twitter, uh, Brett Guthrie has announced he is he's putting his hat in the in the ring for chairman of Energy and Commerce, which is a huge deal. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he, he of course Brett is already the chair of the of the health subcommittee of that, which basically controls the entire U.S. Uh, healthcare system because he had, that gives oversight of uh, of Medicare and Medicaid, which is massive. But ENC, if you don't know, behind uh, Ways and Means, which writes the budget, ENC is by far the, the most honestly. It may be more powerful th- th- even than than Ways and Means, just because. You, I'd say they're pretty much equal. Yeah. I mean, and particularly on the issues that we were just talking about. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, this would be huge for Kentucky if we were able to have yeah. a Kentucky and at the helm of that committee. Congressman Barr today has announced that he is making yes. calls and trying to get the chairmanship of financial services, which would also be huge. So, you know, that would if if, if that were, if those were to happen, I think Brett's in a great position for ENC. I, I can tell you, you know, when he first got there, he was on help, uh, health, health, energy, labor, which – uh, he got he get Brett started running for office because they were having trouble finding uh, capable employees for Trace Diecast. That's why he ran for the state senate. So that, you know he went. That's why he went that direction when he first got to Congress. Seat opened up on ENC, and actually for a couple of years he was on both. He had to get a waiver from uh, Boehner to be able to be on both committees. But he's been you know he, he actually probably he could have already been chair of, of education and labor if he had stayed there. But uh, he he bopped over to ENC. He's everybody likes him. I'd say he's got a strong chance of being next chair there, and I think uh, Andy's got a good chance there. And that would give us, I'd give Kentucky had a six, had six congressmen and three committee chairs, which is kind of incredible. Yeah, yeah. we always like to say we punch above our weight. Yeah, we totally do. That's what I was going to bring up, which is like we take for granted. I think sometimes most of our citizens don't realize like most states don't have these powerful yeah. people. Like we have Mitch McConnell, we had Budget Chairman Yarmouth. Having these um, Thomas really Massey's on rules, which is a big deal. I mean, this is a big deal. Homer, um, obviously, Homer, very obviously visible member right now. Very, very important um, figure. Senator Paul is the ranking member on uh, Homeland Security Government Affairs Committee, where he does a lot of oversight, mm-hmm. similar to Homer. We yeah. should be proud. I mean, Kentucky, Kentucky is a is a heavy hitter uh, for political office, and I, I just I just think we should be proud of that. Trey, I know you've been waiting for it. The biggest news of the day. What's that? Mbappe said he's leaving Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah, it looks like probably Real Madrid is the destination point, sounds like. It'll be a record. Uh, so, <laughs> I got traded talking about soccer. I always get happy when that happens. It uh, sounds like it'll be a record-breaking signing. Uh, it's funny. Barcelona wants him. Arsenal wants him. United wants him. Liverpool wants him. Everybody wants him. Uh, but the question is, how much is Real Madrid going to pay? Yep. Catherine, wel- welcome to the sports part of the podcast. You're welcome to get on your Instagram and look at cat videos. Uh, Jared, who's your team? Manchester United. Ah, Die my hard. husband's an Arsenal gunner. Oh. Yeah. At least you're not Liverpool. At least you're not a scouser. I like Liverpool. We can live with that. Jesus Christ, you do not like Liverpool. I do. I, 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 no, no. I've been doing this podcast how long? It's the first time I've ever heard you bring that up. I will tell you why. Is because I don't want to hear why. I was I was watching uh, when I was in Prague. <laughs> I had uh, won a bunch of money. Be a Dortmund fan like Everybody else in Prague. I'd won a bunch of money in a little casino there, and, and went into a uh, went into a, a British pub, and the finals of the Worthington Cup were on. And it was actually against Man City. It was the first time the Man City was not getting the Premiership. It was the first time a non before they got their oil money. Yeah. It was the first time a non Premiership <laughs> team had made the finals of, of that cup in like eighty years or something. 
and they were playing Liverpool, and that happened to be a Liverpool bar, and I had a blast watching the game with all these all these drunk English people and making fun of me for being American, I was making fun of them for being English, and call, calling it soccer, and I had, I had a great time with all these, all these uh, Liverpool fans. When I went to my first United game at Old Trafford, I did not call it soccer, and then I helped Adam Eden take his family to the Arsenal game this year, oh. and he's like, "These people are insane." And I'm like, "Yes, they are. Yes, so they are." We we can talk about this more another time, but we did a trip over to London to. I tried to get my husband Arsenal tickets. They ended up being in the FA Cup and got canceled. All this stuff. So, but we did go to a game, and it, they are wild fans yes. over there. Yes. We it's went so to fun. we ended up going to a West Ham game because um, it was in town, and we were in London. We had a great time though. Still FA need to go Cup. back to see Arsenal though. So I might have to hit you up for get, some help on that. We got the FA Cup <laughs> mentioned on the, t- on the podcast. Well, this podcast is looking up, man. Jerry, look, I do have uh, Football Manager twenty four installed on my. It's a great game. It is a great game. It's an amazing game. Incredibly intense. Jared and I went to in Spain was lit. Like the street party outside. Abby was like Abby was kind enough to humor me on our honeymoon to go to a Real Madrid game it was fun. at home okay. and it yeah, was, was like fun. it was uh, amazing just the street situation and they were playing the last place team in the Spanish in, in La Liga like, oh it didn't matter it wasn't a big game at all and like there was like um, color like the puppets the, the big huge puppet parades down it was unbelievable uh, Jared, if you were betting with uh, Kentucky politics week in the Super Bowl, you had a good Super Bowl. Hey, I'm here to take my victory lap. Uh, I call Chiefs and the under. I'm so here to take we, my victory we, lap. We both had the Chiefs and the under. Uh, I, I, I gave that, although I did not tell Jared how to actually access it on FanDuel, but I and gave that the, me. I gave up the, the, the 47.5-yard over for the longest field goal when they, they actually had two over 50. So that hit. I gave out uh, rushing yards for both quarterbacks, which if you got it earlier in the week, which I did in some bets with Purdy at 11.5, it hit. I would have had another two thousand dollars. I would have won on a parlay, except for Purdy had thirteen yards, and I had him at twelve and a half, and he got tackled for a loss of a yard. And, and if Kelsey had scored a touchdown, I would have cleaned house. Uh, That's the only one that I, was, that I missed. Let's, we, well, I think we gave the over on the passing yards to the QBs. I, I think pretty much all the all the. I think the only one that didn't hit was Debo over sixteen and a half yards rushing. I think all the other props we gave one. Um, Speaking of Kelsey, I'm a little worried about Maga. I'm worried. Taylor's got in, Taylor's got the NFL, and Beyonce's coming for country music. Mer- Merle's gonna rise up from the grave, take her down. It's fine. <laughs> It'll all be good. Well, I know I know. Caitlin's got to get out of here and get her kids. I got to get this thing edited up online so I can go get my kids. Y'all yeah, gotta, gotta, we gotta go get ours. Y- y'all y'all gotta go. Y'all gotta go drink off the the week of session and. No, we're going to read Bill. <laughs> uh, well, Caitlin, thanks for coming over. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm sure your husband will listen to this uh, on the way back. He's a loyal listener. Way back home. <laughs> um, and uh, as always, you can get Kentucky Politics Weekly or stream podcast. You get us on Apple Podcasts. Give us a review. Um, I'm efforting to get us on YouTube Music Podcasts, but that may or may not happen because apparently, I guess you have to like... Now, if you... So if you subscribe, if you're, if you're moving from Google Podcasts to YouTube Music for your podcast, you can just put the RSS feed in directly and it will actually access it and you can get it. But for it to be searchable on YouTube, I would have to like upload it to where I normally upload it on SoundCloud and then upload it separately onto YouTube. Trey, nobody cares. Yeah. Trey, they've already turned it off. Anyway. <laughs> they've already turned this off. Anyway, if you're on, if you're, if you're, if you're not, I'm not even listening. If you're on Google Podcasts, I would recommend going to Spotify, Pandora, somewhere else. Uh, Apple. Not YouTube. Uh, well, I don't have Apple. I can't get it on my phone. What do I get? Yeah, uh, he's a green bubble. Uh, anyway, we'll be, we'll be back next week on another Kentucky Politics Week. <laughs>